All right. We'll turn in your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. If you are visiting with us this morning, we're working our way through the book of Colossians verse by verse. We are in the middle of Colossians 3. As we come to the text this morning, it's a wonderful and helpful section for us. Paul moves into a positive section focusing on the character of those who are called in Christ, rescued by God. And coming off of the list of things that believers are called to put off or take off as garments even, as clothing, he moves into this list of things that we're to put on as those who are united with Christ. And I want to remind us here that these things describe who we already are in Christ. We are holy and blameless before God because of what Christ has done. Not because we are necessarily good at being all of these things or any of these things. We are holy and blameless because of His goodness, not because of our goodness. I also want to give a word of of caution as we approach this text. Our hope lies in Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ is all Paul has written to us, and in all. It is possible, it happens sometimes, that someone will will put on these kinds of characteristics in specific contexts, acting the part but not truly delighting in Christ, unsaved and yet walking in circles where their actions demonstrate some of these characteristics, at least temporarily, and and they themselves or others can be deceived by their actions. Christ is all, Paul says. All that we need, all of our hope, all of our motivation. The verse we looked at last week, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is our hope, not ourselves. And so let's look at the text, verses 12 through 14 of chapter 3. Go ahead and stand and follow along as I read. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and you do good. Everything you do is good. 
We praise you for that truth. We ask you to help us to cling to it. Even as we have sung, on Christ the solid rock we stand. In the ebbs and flows of life and the difficulties of circumstances, you remain true and good. And so we pray for your help that we would know and believe Christ. And as we look at this text today, we ask that you would help us. We praise you and thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We pray that you would help us to believe it and to trust in you through it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Put on then. It's another way of, of starting verse 12 with therefore. It's connecting what he's about to say with what he has just said. It's describing the new self that he has urged us to put on in chapter 3. Whatever our worldly status was before, we all now have this identity determined by Christ. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Now we could easily just spend our time right here, rejoicing and searching the Scriptures for depths of this great and glorious statement. As God's chosen ones, if you are in Christ, it is because you are chosen by God. That is a glorious truth that we are chosen people. If you've ever been in your past, hopefully not today, but on a playground and been the last to be picked or not picked, that's a terrible feeling I've heard. (laughs) That's a terrible feeling. You are chosen by God. Put on then as God's chosen one. It's incredible news, and it reflects the Old Testament teaching that the existence and status of God's people depended on God's decision to choose them and to form them into his people. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." God now forms his new covenant people by choosing individuals from among both Jews and Gentiles. Romans 9, verses 24 and 25. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. 
Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him from before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Now, the truth is, this teaching that we see in Scripture that honestly seems so clear to me has caused much debate throughout decades and centuries. But this morning, wherever you fall in this discussion, let's acknowledge this. It's not meant to cause frustration. It's meant to cause worship and celebration. There's no text And there are many. There is no text that speaks of God choosing and setting his elective love on people that is not filled with praise and worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him from before the foundations of the world. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 5, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our first reaction to verses like these ought to be thanksgiving, joy, worship. We ought to respond with the writers of Scripture, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul first here in Colossians 3.12 reminds the Colossians they've been chosen and then adds holy and blameless. In that short statement, Paul is laying again the foundation and motivation for their obedience, reminding them of their their identity, their true identity in Christ, which ought to lead them to live in the light of that identity. This is who you are, Paul is saying. You are holy and blameless. That is such a wonderfully baffling truth about God's grace. Because we all, all of us sitting here in Christ know what we have struggled with even today. So it's wonderfully baffling that we can read that Paul says, 
you're holy and you're blameless. That is glorious truth. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. And in so doing, he presented you holy and blameless. That's Ephesians 1.4. Again, even as he chose us in him from before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's our true identity in Christ, not something we're trying to attain. We are holy and blameless, and we are called then to live out that truth, to put off the things that were attached to our old lives. Our lives before God made us holy and blameless, and to put on the things that reflect the reality of holiness that is now ours. We are pure before God. We are pure before God. We stand before Him blameless. Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Blameless. 1 Peter 2, 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you might, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's an order to it. He made you this. He chose you and made you holy and blameless. And now Paul, and just as Peter is in 1 Peter 2, 9, now live that out. Start becoming in practice what you already are in position. Live in light of the truth that you are chosen, holy, and blameless. And third, he says, beloved. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You are chosen, you are holy, blameless, and you are beloved by God. God, the holy God has put his love on you. You consider that in the reality of who God is and what we see described of God throughout the scriptures, but just particularly in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And as Isaiah describes this scene of the glory of God and the angels calling out one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah's one response is, and I Said to and I said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's a righteous response to who God is. It's realizing we're nothing. We're nothing. And He's everything. 
and we ought to fear standing before God, and yet the truth of Scripture is you're beloved. You're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved. And not at all because you deserve it, not at all because I deserve it, but because he is loving and so incredibly gracious. His words to Moses that we read earlier are true concerning us. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. But it is because the Lord loves you. How wonderful is that? Psalm 106, verse 1, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Praise the Lord. How can we do that? How can we praise him? One way is exactly what Paul is saying here. By putting on the things that represent his grace and love in our lives to live out our identity in him. And Paul gives us now in Colossians 3 the character of the called. This list of things to put on as those called and loved in Christ. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Now remember, he's saying this is who you are are now. This is your true identity now. And and this whole turning point in the book of Colossians is he's taken time to lay a foundation of theology and our identity in Christ because of what he's done. He's saying now, now act like it. Start becoming in practice what you already are in position Put on compassionate hearts. The King James Version translates this as bowels of mercy. It gives this Greek idea that it comes from the inner part of a man. It's not something that's simply pretended. It's acted out of genuineness of heart compassion, mercy. The gospel brings with it sympathy and tenderness of heart toward others. If we are new creatures in Christ, we must be compassionate people. It means love characterized by mercy or heartfelt compassion tender-hearted compassion. Just consider the gospel for a moment. How can we, who have been counted righteous, holy, blameless, have been chosen solely based on God's grace and mercy, His loving kindness. How can we act in a way that is not characterized by mercy? Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus says, Be merciful 
even as your Father is merciful. Luke 1, 76 through 78. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. We serve a God who is merciful. And as his people and as his representatives, we ought to show that kind of mercy. Compassionate hearts. Put on then compassionate hearts. Secondly, put on kindness. Kindness. It's often an expression of God's own goodness. As you consider who you are in Christ and how we flesh that out with one another, are you kind? Psalm 31, verse 19, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you've stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Your goodness, your kindness. As a servant of God, reflect His kindness that has been applied to you. Reflect His goodness that has been applied to you. When we, and I reference often Psalm 119, verse 68, where the psalmist says, you are good and do good, and that that, that is true in every and in all circumstances. Every and all circumstances. There is there's no asterisk in the Hebrew. There's no you are good and do good. See below. Except for when. There's none of that. You are good and you do good. And certainly, all of us can say in Christ, that begins and ends at the cross and how it has been applied to us. He has been good to us. And He stored up His goodness for those who fear Him. And so Paul's saying, put on goodness and display the goodness and kindness of God. Kent Hughes describes it this way. It was used to describe wine that has grown mellow with age and has lost its harshness. Kindness. Put on kindness. You consider there's some of these in this list that are mentioned in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit a result of having God's Spirit in us and influencing our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Put on kindness, he says. Next, put on humility. Be humble. 
1 Peter 5, 5-7, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Humble yourselves. Be humble. Paul writes in Philippians 2, count others as more significant than yourself. That's hard. That's hard. I will tell you, for me, this stands above and beyond in, in this list. Pride. That's hard. But when we are looking at others in a way that, that says, I think I'm better than you, we have, we're not even close to a right perspective of who God is and who we are. We're not even close. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Paul says, put on humility. Christians are called to serve God and one another with all humility and lowliness. Jesus invited his disciples to learn from him and walk in this way. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Humility, the absence of self-exaltation. Put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness. Meekness is often misunderstood as weakness. Living as a, as a doormat. It's not what meekness is. Meekness is simply gentleness. In the book of Numbers, it says that Moses was the most meek man on earth. At the same time, we know that he led God's people with courage, with strength. Did you see me jump? Wow. I think that was a sign of meekness right there. No, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Meekness, being meek, doesn't mean weak. It is a sign of being controlled by God, of being gentle. Put on meekness and put on patience. Again, a fruit of the Spirit. Having an attitude of patience toward those around us. We ought to understand that we are not the only one in the room who is in the process of sanctification. We are never the only one in the room that is in the process of sanctification. Ever. And others ought to receive the patience that we hope for. To be long-suffering in the face of insult or injury, 
be patient. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. It's easy for us to look at those around us and expect them to be far more sanctified than we are ourselves. Be patient. He goes on in verse 13, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. I love this one. Not because I'm good at it, okay? This is like patience, but more specific. Douglas Moo writes this, the demand acknowledges that every Christian fellowship is made up of all kinds of people and that we will accordingly sometimes find ourselves in close fellowship with people who are very different than we are. For the sake of maintaining community, we will sometimes have to put up with people with whom we would not normally choose to associate. That's the difference between patience and bearing with one another. The reality is there are some here, as you look across the room, that you would, you would probably say, outside of Christ, I would have nothing in common with that person. In, in fact, they bug me. I made a list. I'm kidding. I mean, there's no, no list. They bother me. And there's this reality of being called to put up with one another. to put up with, to bear with one another. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, this is the first step in establishing true community. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then, as we know, he goes through in chapter 4, and he talks about this picture of the body being built up together in love. As people set apart by God, we must seek to bear with one another. Again, he goes on, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, that's supernatural grace. And it's at this point I want to pause and, and remember we will not be able to do this without His help, truly. Without setting our minds and hearts on things that are above, on Christ Himself. That's how Paul starts all of this. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. If we're going to be a people who truly forgive, who truly forgive, We need Him. And we're called to be that kind of people, people who forgive, who are characterized by forgiveness. That's hard. 
It goes on, verse 14, and above all these, put on love. Put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love as a garment or as a coat worn over them all. Put on love. We ought to be the most loving people that the world meets. These other things, compassion, kindness, humility, they're only truly powerful and genuine when they are done in love. That's what Paul's saying by put on love which binds them all together. The meaning here is is keep doing this. Keep putting on love over and over and over. Keep putting on love. Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how they'll know that you really do follow me. So if someone who didn't know Christ came into a setting where where we as followers of Jesus were interacting and and in fellowship, what, will, what would stand out to them to determine whether we follow Jesus or not is our love for each other. That we, we truly do put on love. Oh, that we would be people who are compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient, who bear with one another, who forgive as God has forgiven us, and that we would love genuinely. But the truth is, we are not perfect in this. It's why Paul is saying here, keep doing it. Keep putting off the old and keep putting on the new. Keep putting on the things that go along with our true identity in Christ, who we really are in Christ. Because we are not in and of ourselves good at it. But our hope, our eternal hope is in one who stands alone, perfect in all of these ways. Paul is calling for us in these verses to put on Christ. Our hope is in the truth of that. Christ is perfectly compassionate. He looked on us in our sin and loved us, chose us. Christ is perfectly Kind. Paul says in Romans that his kindness leads us to repentance. Christ is, is our perfect example of humility. Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ is our example of meekness. 2 Corinthians 10.1, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He is gentle with us as a shepherd is with his sheep. 
Christ is perfectly patient with us. He does not treat us as we deserve. He patiently cares for us and nurtures us in and through our struggles. Christ bears with us. Certainly, we are hard to be around, but not for Christ. He knows our frame. He created us. And he gave all to make us like himself. Imagine being one who has been offended and failed as many times as Christ has been by me or by you. And he continues to love. He bears with us perfectly. Christ forgives. He forgives all of our sins. He shed his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He became the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath for us. He forgives. And Christ loves perfectly. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love perfectly in this, Paul says. He loves us in any and every situation. We have an advocate, advocate in heaven who never, ever fails and never, ever changes. He is what we could never be. And, and in being that, credits us with his own perfection, with his own righteousness. Paul tells us, look to him, think on him, and start becoming and practice what he has enabled us and called us to be because of who he is. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. And just as we consider the truth that, that Christ has credited, uh, credited us with his own righteousness. It's the good news of the gospel that through faith, by his grace, when we trust in him, he, Christ, on the cross was treated as we deserve to be treated in our sin, punished, receiving God's wrath, so that we can then be treated as if we lived like Christ, righteous, were credited, counted righteous because he was counted a sinner. He died on the cross, his body broken and his blood shed, and we're called together to remember his sacrifice, to remember his body and remember his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And as followers of Jesus, we do that with joy. We do that remembering that we do have an advocate. We do have one who stands before God in our place, on our behalf, always. We remember and we rejoice. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, 
you don't know him as an advocate, you don't know him truly as a savior, then I would encourage you, as the bread and the uh, cup are passed by, just let them pass. This is a purposeful response to what God has done. In fact, Paul says, as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, if you don't identify that with that yet, then, then you would acknowledge you wouldn't even want to do that. There would be no joy in you to, to declare together with others what you don't believe. And so what I would call you to do is just let the bread and cup pass, and instead of partaking of the symbols of Christ's death, partake of Christ. Put your trust in Him. Put your trust in the one who loves you and gave his life for you, that if you believe in him and trust in him and follow him, you will be saved. Take of him today. If you want to talk to someone, I would love to talk to you about it. I will connect you with others who would love to talk to you about that. But for those of us in Christ, let's take the bread, let's take the cup, let's hold them. Andrew's going to play. Let's set our hearts on Christ as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're good, Lord, and you do good. And your goodness was gloriously displayed through Christ for us. You have made a way. You have made a way for those who are not compassionate who are not kind, who are not humble, who are not meek, who are not patient, who don't bear with others well, who don't forgive, who don't love. You have made a way for those kinds of people to be made righteous. And we're so grateful, Lord. We're so thankful for your grace. We praise you for Jesus. We ask you in this time as we prepare to take the bread and the cup that you'd help us, help us to set our minds on things above. To know that it is only because of Jesus and his sacrifice and his work of righteousness and the penalty that he paid on our behalf that we can be saved. Help us to rejoice in that truth. And then help us, Lord, as, as Paul writes, to live out this identity that you have given to us. To put on the things that are attached to our new self in Christ. To be a people who display the goodness of Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.